Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining the podcast, Creating Community for Good. My guest today is a super down-to-earth, provocative, and creative man. He's uber-networked and hones in on relationships and community naturally. He started as a grant writer almost two decades ago, maybe not quite, and now he oversees Neon One's ecosystem of software, consultants, and institutional partners as the director of strategic partnerships for Neon One. Not only that, but he has been on two TEDx stages and produces content constantly. Welcome, Tim Sarantonio. <laughs> Thank you, Lindsay, for having me. Excited to be on the show. <laughs> Thanks for joining, Tim. Yeah, yeah. So what do we want to unpack today? So there's a lot to unpack today. Let's focus first on CRM. What is What are the fundamentals that we need to know as nonprofit managers, experts, some of the folks who are listening are donors as well. Some are concerned community members. So they might be in for-profit space that are just interested in learning more about the nonprofit space. So let's talk about CRM. And then let's talk about how do you really use your database? What is CRM? How do you use it? And then how does that transition into some of the giving opportunities, in particular, the Giving Tuesday Now that's coming up? Mm, wow. Okay. Got a lot, lot to cover a lot of different audiences too, Lindsay. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You know, it's early days, Tim. So you're you're making it easy on me. So I know it's too easy. You have the platform. I can hear you. You're a talker, so just take it away. <laughs> so I, I guess we should really start the basics, especially if we're talking to people who might be donors in, in terms of throwing the term around CRM, constituent relationship management, right? The reality is is that the term in the nonprofit space has also been diluted by marketing firms for other tech companies, where it might be referred to as a donor management system or donor software or fundraising software. All of these things are interchangeable. If you see that term, it's the same basic premise, which is I have a relationship with a donor because they've given me money or they could potentially give me money. How do I organize that? Because if you put it on an Excel spreadsheet, that's a nightmare from an actual scale ability, right? Like all it takes is one, but you know, even me managing my address labels for my family mailings that we do for Christmas cards, it's like it takes one thing and it's like grandma's not getting a, you know, not getting a, a Christmas card this year and I'm getting an earful, right? Yeah, totally. And a lot of nonprofits, they, they, it, 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 you know, they put things either, they treat Excel as a database, it's not a database, or they treat QuickBooks as their donor management software, which it's not, right? Even structurally, QuickBooks doesn't break out first name and last name. So if you want to do a personalized mailing out of QuickBooks, guess what? You can't. You're going to be sitting there parsing things out or deleting, you know, a person's name. So CRM has its basis in the for-profit world in, in many ways. You know, the most prominent example of, of a for-profit CRM is Salesforce, obviously, at this point. But there's been relational databases for the longest time. Microsoft Access could be 
and has been and is still, God forbid, used as a relationship database if you put the effort into it. But the difference now is that CRMs, nonprofit CRMs, where I want to focus, which has been around for a long time, actually, the first donor management software that basically came about was in 1981 from Blackboard when basically some guy answered an ad in a Manhattan newspaper and said, you know, it's the school and we need to manage things. And he's like, all right, let me just program something. And then hence, long and short, that's where Blackboard came from. I didn't know that history. So BlackBot has been the cornerstone on CRMs for nonprofits. Then Salesforce came in and said, we're going to do things a lot easier, a lot more savvy, tech savvy. BlackBot is known to be a little bit more archaic in some, in some ways. And now Neon One is the newest, the front runner that's the new, the new dog. Tell us about... And this is not, you know, this podcast is really not all about product pitching, but I, I truly am interested in Neon One because I have worked with so many nonprofits who have struggled with their databases and who've asked me for recommendations. I've got a couple clients right now that are going through a process of integrating into new CRMs. One of them did go to Neon One, full disclosure. So tell me, like, why are you unique or special and, and how does a nonprofit even need to think about these decisions? I think it's important to, to to put in context, at least for me answering this, that I have over 100 hours of Razor's Edge training. I was like one of the, the first people who went, who actually helped pilot their certification program. I use Salesforce every day. And the way that I would I would frame it is that there's there's really, you have like, you got Salesforce, you got Blackboard, very large organizations typically can can you know, look at those, but then there's a lot of other stuff below it, right? You got got Donor Perfect and Bloomerang and Kindful and Virtuous and, you know, Little Green Light. And and, and that can, like all these these names can really overwhelm people. And and at the end of the day, there's a spectrum. And the spectrum is actually will really well represented by Blackboard and Salesforce. There's closed systems like Blackboard that, you know, they talk about having APIs and all this type of stuff you know, uh, application programming interface to basically make software talk to each other. It's like, well, I need something to talk to QuickBooks because that's what I use for my accounting system or I use constant contact for email. So I want that to talk to my my donor system. And that the way it happens is through an API or you're downloading a file and then uploading a file, right? That's mm-hmm. If a salesperson tells you that they integrate with something and that's their answer, they're lying to you. That's the reality. Okay. So real integration is through API. And so Blackboard, historically, they're trying to open up, but it's like they like you to use their stuff, right? It's like, well, we have Team Razor and Razor's Edge. And so if you want peer-to-peer and you want you know, a CRM, then use these two things or, or just giving an e-tapestry or something like that. Then you have the opposite side, which is Salesforce, which is like, everybody come to the party. Mm-hmm. Like, like they have a massive app exchange. Neon One is part of the app exchange. It's just this, like, if you can make it, like, we're here. The difference, though, is that when it comes to managed services, if you, like, need to import data because you have a bunch of access databases or Excel spreadsheets, or you're coming from, you know, another donor management system, Salesforce is going to say, we'll hook you up with a third-party consultant to help you get it in there. 
Blackboard has that stuff in-house. Where Neon One fits is the happy medium between the two. Mm. We're an open ecosystem. If you want to use a competing peer-to-peer platform or a donor auction software or a ticketing platform or something like that, there's a very good chance that we have an option for you that's not within our ecosystem. However, we offer all the managed services that Blackboard does and more, in my opinion, when it comes to data migration, like we can turn around, you know, data migrations in like five days, right? Mm-hmm. Like from complicated stuff, you know, it has consulting, we have consulting in-house, but then our vision is that, look, we don't know everything though, right? Like that's the problem with the opposite side of like, well, everything's in-house. It's like, well, we know everything. And it's like, no, you don't. That's why we we work with the Lindsay's of the world to basically say, hey, if you need an amazing fundraising consultant to tell you how to rock your capital campaign, why don't you go to Lindsay? And we know Lindsay knows our stuff because we've certified her. And Lindsay went through our testing. I did. It was a little painful, I admit. I only had to tre- retake one test, though. <laughs> and, and, but that's by design because we, <laughs> we want to qualify and curate it specific to the nonprofit world. So when it comes to our CRM, it's actually very open. It has, you know, workflow automation. It has a moves management app with artificial intelligence for, you know, prospect identification. We have a lot of robust features. But if you're a small nonprofit, we got stuff for you too. If you need client case management, we got stuff for you. If you need really sophisticated peer-to-peer fundraising and you work with Salesforce, yay, great. We have the best integration in the Salesforce for peer-to-peer fundraising in the entire world. So like, we got it. We got it. And we're also powering the largest gives days which leads us into Giving Tuesday now, by the way. Yes, great transition. Boy, it's like you were prepped or something. (laughs) Tell us, okay, so we are, this podcast is being recorded just a couple days before it's being released, which is different from my past podcasts. The first six were recorded a few months prior to COVID and then, you know, put it all together and release. Now with Tim, it's new, it's fresh, and it's really, really important that we talk about the situation we're in today. So we're currently in the shelter in place. It's been extended for another month here in San Francisco, and I know many other places around the world. I'm in New York. So I was about to say, you're in New York. So I mean, we're we're facing different setups, but we're all in this together, and we are all challenged with figuring out how to support nonprofits right now and so that they can serve the beneficiaries. So Giving Tuesday now is the new, the latest and greatest of Giving Tuesday coming up next week on the 5th. And Tim, you're one of the partners. Neon One is tell us everything we need to know. Okay. So we're going to do the too too long didn't read of Giving Tuesday now. Yes. TLDR. TLDR of of Giving Tuesday now or GTN for short. (laughs) It's May 5th. It's, it's It's on a Tuesday. It is a global day of generosity. And what that means is that you don't need to go to givingtuesday.org to donate. You simply, as a nonprofit, need to stand up and say, I am part of Giving Tuesday now. You use the hashtag Giving Tuesday now. You're in. You're part of it. So with that understanding, 
the two key things, especially if you're listening to this with only days or even potentially hours to giving to. Yes, most likely. Is in that situation, the most immediate thing that you can do is pull your major donor list, maybe $1,000 and above, or if you're a really small nonprofit, get the 250 people and above and get a call list ready to thank them. You are probably not doing an effective appeal on Giving Tuesday now, and that's fine. Giving Tuesday themselves will tell you it's a global day of generosity. It's not a global day of click the donate button on my website. It's a global day of generosity. And so that can come in many forms. Thanking donors is research shows. Adrian Sargent definitely drove, dove into this that says that, that the more that you thank people, the higher likely that they're going to be retained, right? If you got nothing else in, you know, in the bucket ready, then get ready to thank some people. Call them up, get board member, tell the board member, tell, tell Michael Farb, CEO of Neon One, to go build, you know, call some build people, right? Yes. Like, yes, actually, you should tell him to go do that. I'm going to do that. You, you definitely should. Hand him a list of people and be like, call these. Thank them. And so that's the reality there. Now, if you are going to be spinning up some quick campaigns, though, like easy things that you can do. Think about a Facebook live stream or a YouTube live stream. Live streams are, you know, and, and maybe interview some program participants if that's possible or, or interview board members. Do a tour of your facility if you're able to get in there physically, you know, if it's safe, you know, and that's the biggest thing there. But some organizations are because, you know, I work with a local nonprofit where I live called Capital Roots. And they told me, they're like, the reality is, is that we're a food sustainability organization. People need to eat. We're essential services. So people are still like needing to drive around and drop off food at places. So if you can potentially do some sort of live interactive element there, great. If that's too much logistically, if that's a a lot, you know, like makes you kind of nervous about that, go to social media and get a Google sheet ready. Like use the Google Sheets thing that you're doing for PowerPoint presentations and create a simple template that or or Canva, one of those. I love Canva. Giving Tuesday now has Canva free templates that you can use. Dump it out and create it into a gratitude campaign that you're doing online and then throw in the link to your donation page every once in a while, right? Like at the very least, this is something that you can do if you're if you're kind of engaging things this late in the game. So what I'm hearing is to start with, here's, you know, thank you. You are part of the story. Here's the story. Here's what we're doing. Here's how we're impacting the community. And then, you know, if you want to support us, here's the link. Something like that threefold. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that you led with story because the reality is, is that a donor love strategy where you're putting the donor at the center of things. I'm actually going through building a story brand right now. That book, really great book. But basically it talks about like, let's analyze all the major stories that we enjoy on an everyday basis, you know, like Star Wars or or stuff like that. Let's take Star Wars, right? So like, who's the hero of that? of the original star Wars, we'll, we'll talk with a new hope and, and, you know, uh, return of the Jedi, stuff like that. Luke, right? Luke Skywalker. If you're doing things correctly, your organization's message is that you are not Luke Skywalker. You are Yoda. 
you are guiding them along. And I'm, I'm going to give kudos to Mark Pittman of Concord Leadership Group for kind of turning me on to this because mm-hmm. we've done a few presentations and it's really kind of infected me. He helped found the, the nonprofit storytelling conference. And, and he's also a neon one consultant like you. This is why we rely on our ecosystem because I am not smart enough to like come up with all this stuff myself. <laughs> hey, it takes a village. So absolutely. And so, and that's the whole point, right? You need a guide. You need a guide. And the, and the, and the flow is, you know, I have a problem. And the problem is, is that I need you to donate to the organization. So like, why should I donate though? Like what happens if I don't donate? And the guide can lead them through and say, Mm. if you don't act, then catastrophic things are going to happen in my community. And so if you lead with that story, it's going to win every time. And you keep it simple. The reality, Lindsay, is that every nonprofit right now is an essential service. Every Mm. single one, arts, culture, land trusts, animal rights organizations, people working for, for, you know, LGBTQ rights, like equality for, for racial bias, prison reform, all this type of stuff, bail bonds, like all of it, all of it. It's all under attack right now by this virus. And so what we need to do is stand up and, and basically say like, no, we need to survive and thrive. And the only way that we're going to do that is with your help. We're past, and here's the important point, depending, you know, because of the time sensitivity of this podcast, we're past the, oh my God, you need to give me money. We're going to die stage. Okay. Like, like either physically because, because we're first responder organizations or like from an existential standpoint, we're, we're done. Donors are Mark Phillips of, uh, I think it's Blue Frog Consulting out in the UK, it's been posting a lot of great stuff. And, and the research he's finding is that the messaging is changing in terms of donor response rates where they're not, it's not as effective right now on that, like, ah, like yeah. that. People are done with that. The shock is over. And we're kind of like getting into, all right, what crap are we doing today? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so where we need to shift our messaging as nonprofits considering that you're lit, you have donors who are part of this, I'd actually love for them. You can ping me on Twitter on Midwest TGS, by the way, or, or LinkedIn me, Tim Sarantonio, and tell me if I'm right in terms of this. But I think that what donors want to hear is tell me the future. Tell me the hope. I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly what I've been seeing, feeling, hearing, and advising as well, is that the emergency response time has passed. Now it's what's the future. And why is it critical that we're doing a rainy day fund? Or what are you going to do with that rainy day fund? And what I've noticed is we don't have to have a five point plan. It has to be, we don't know what the future holds for us. We want to be prepared. We want to continue to open the doors to serve our mission, whatever the mission is for five years and 20 years to come. And this is what's critical to bridge that gap of the unknown future. I think that that one of the biggest things that nonprofits also need to focus in when it comes to their technology, right? Because there's a lot of like flash, there's a lot of substance mm-hmm. that, that we're seeing out there, you know, people talking about Facebook fundraisers. And, you know, I love talking about live streaming and things of that nature, but the vast majority of gifts still come in on check. And so even when we did an analysis of December giving for the Neon One ecosystem, because I was, you know, trying to work with Giving Tuesday as a data partner and go, okay, what was the impact of Giving Tuesday versus the rest of December, which typically brings in about 31% of gifts overall for for Mm -hmm. nonprofits. 
And Giving Tuesday was significant. Actually, it kicked off 13% of monthly recurring donations being started. Oh, wow. That's higher than I would have expected. I didn't know that number. Well, that's higher than Giving Tuesday expected, and they love me talking about it. So I always talk about it. So one, going back to Giving Tuesday now, yeah, make if you're going to ask anybody for any call to action, make it a small recurring gift. Ask for 10 bucks a month as opposed to $100. Guess what? Yes. You get 120 bucks. So, I love that. Well, and the retention is, on those folks is about 80%, right? Wow. Like compared to the industry retention on single single donation donors, which is for longtime donors, like 46% first time donors in the 20s. Mm-hmm. Retention sucks. Retention's terrible. Which is why you need a good CRM. Which is thank you, which is why you need a good CRM and why we actually pay attention to the fundraising effectiveness project data, which if people don't know that, go to afpfep.org. I think you're going to link to it in some of the... Yep, I've got some show notes that will be including the links that you've got. So that's an important one because those are the key metrics that any nonprofit should be thinking about and should be should be focusing on. And we bake them into Neon CRM so you don't even have to think about it. And it's just like, go, go, go. But we use that data to actually analyze what's been happening in... So FEP did an analysis of what happened in 2007, 2008. And basically what happens is that giving surges during the period of an immediate crisis... But during an economic downturn, what we're probably going to see is a dip. And that's the problem that, that I think a lot of nonprofits need to, need to address is what, what are you going to do during the dip? And if you haven't been communicating with your donors in a non-transactional way, if you are only treating them like an ATM, then they're going to tune out. Your dip's going to be worse. What we do see historically, though, is that the data does have a rebound at a much, well, at a slightly higher level than what was previously even been given before. But mm-hmm. the nonprofit industry is resilient. So major donors will, will be a big part of any recovery that we have because they feel more secure in their ability to give. The stock market's more secure. You know, donor advice funds have, have, you know, not been depleted fully because, of course, that's not going to happen. And so the reality is, is that how can we as an industry focus on delivering impact quicker? That's where I think, you know, technology has a role to play in, in terms of like even looking at old school technology like donor advice funds, like checks, like grants and going, wait, why do I have to wait? so long to actually get this in my bank account. I think there's ways that we can we can re-envision the technology. And I think that's what's going to come out of this, in all honesty. That's my prediction. Yeah. Well, you know, one of my early blog posts was, crisis, what crisis? Let's turn philanthropy on its head. And I didn't mean to be cavalier, but it was really an intention to say, philanthropy is a little old school. And the way we operate as a sector is, you know, there is an, a beautiful art to it that's as old as humanity and connecting with each other. But then there are other opportunities for being more efficient and more effective that we're just not grasping as quickly as the tech scene. So I do like how, how there are a lot of innovations coming on board right now with giving and philanthropy. The number one piece of advice I've been giving people too is 
stewardship right now and just nurture campaigns, calling people, asking how they're doing. Sounds like that's another element of what you're saying for Giving Tuesday. Just getting back to some of the basics of CRM, Tim, what is really critical in terms of managing your CRM to guide generosity? Like, what do you really need to know? If you're a small nonprofit, I've been getting asked by a few small nonprofits lately, like, what's critical information? Because we just don't have a bunch of you know experts sitting there doing data entry and gift processing and writing reports and they're lean and mean teams. So what's really critical? I mean, I, I and I was in the trenches there and, and, and kind of even tying back to, to innovation versus basics. Don't be swayed. There's going to be a lot of flashy, innovative stuff when it yeah. comes to this. But none of it matters in the long term if you can't steward your donor. That's the main issue is that like with things like Facebook fundraising, for yeah. instance, your board might be saying, man, wow, look at all this. And, uh, you know, all, you know, it's raising so much money or or we should do this, that and the other thing. And then it's like, yeah, but you're going to lose that person. And then you had to spend a lot more money. It actually costs the nonprofits $1.25 to acquire $1 in revenue. Through Facebook? For anything. Oh, you mean just, yeah. Just in Don't general, position. right? So so with Facebook fundraisers in particular, tying this back to the CRM, if you don't have a plan in place to acquire information on that person, and Julia Campbell, another Neon One consultant, has great strategies on how to do this. Really in short, it's like get them on your email list and then you can work them through. So are you saying don't do, on Giving Tuesday now, don't do a Facebook giving campaign. Instead, just link them back to your website. Uh, it depends. I, you can't, are you like held to not say? You know, I really wonder about that. I, I truly don't have. It, it's it's not that because with, with like with certain platforms, like our platform can connect to Facebook fundraisers. So you can uh-huh. have a sync of it, right? Like, like for peer to peer fundraising. So it's, it, it, there are ways to do it. And if you're like throwing a Hail Mary, I personally think well, also, it's like, do you have a large audience on Facebook, right? If you have a large audience on Facebook, then it might be good to encourage that. If you have like 20 people that follow you, drive those people toward your website so you can acquire the actual data, right? Yeah. Like that's the reality there, that your CRM is the database of truth for the reality of your organization's financial health. That alongside with your financial management system, those two need to work. They're like mirror images of each other in a certain way because the CRM drives the revenue and the accounting system says, okay, what's our profit loss? But the the accounting system can't properly project the ability for you to acquire new revenue. It's dumb Mm. in, in that way. It's just like, it's blind. It doesn't know. It's like, I just look at math, right? Whereas the the CRM has the potential for beautiful model projections on like how much money could we get if we get this amount of recurring gifts? What is our retention percentage of donors for for these types of groupings? Like who are our top donors and where do they live geographically? Like like let's look at that geographically or show me five miles of people within this zip code because we're doing it you know, eventually when we do events or, or, or something like that, but it's like, well, I'm going to be, you know, I physically live here. So I know that I can like reference things in this geographic location that my donors might 
know about, you know? Yeah. So building rapport is what you're talking about. Quickly being able to build rapport. Absolutely. And that's why the R word in the system is the most important one, relationship. Mm -hmm. It's about building a relationship. An accounting system doesn't do that. Digital platforms only don't do that. That's They're all very transactional. The data at the core is what you should be doing as a small nonprofit is looking at, are you doing things in a way that allows you to understand who somebody is? So think about mm -hmm. very simple things. Are you entering their names right? Are you entering their salutation? Do you have their address on file? Do you have their email on file? Email's probably going to be the easiest thing to get. Great. How many emails can you can you actually manage? Because they have, they might have the family one, they might have the the work one, you know, their personal one. So that's three different things. And then cover the basics and then cover what custom information relates to your organization on why do they care about you. I love that. That's the most important piece from my standpoint is coming in and saying, all right. Who do we need to talk to first? Well, who cares the most? Who's most connected? Who feels like this is their mission through their philanthropy? You, you open up an email and check the open rates. Who's opened it 20 times? You know, what's the last phone call that you had? What's the note that you have that like Bob got divorced and is kind of depressed. So maybe, you know, he wants a Zoom call because he's been a big supporter. You know? Yeah. Hey, get real. I mean, wonk, wonk, a sad example, but yeah, get real. Donors are humans. I mean, <laughs> donors are humans. We well, that's the thing. I think we tend to, especially in this environment, it's easy to say like, well, that's just a number, you know? And it's like, no, that's not a number. That's an actual person that's going to be reading that. Yeah. How can we personalize our outreach? 50% rev or 50% response rate increase when you do one-to-one -one personalization. 50%. Wow. And using their first name is not enough. Simple example. I always cite this one. When I lived in Chicago, we adopted two cats. And we, had, well, we adopted three cats, but, you know, we have two cats right now. And so what happened is that the nonprofit that we adopted them from never really referenced the fact that we adopted the cats. Right. And it's like, all you had to do is say, this person adopted it in your CRM equals yes or no. It's a drop down, it's a drop down. And you put yes, and then you segment and you say, you are like a champion of our organization because you live it, right? Like that's all you got to do. They never referenced it. They always treated me the same. Same with like museums where it's like, I'm a member, but they're just asking me for donations. And they're not referencing the fact that I've actually purchased a membership. Yeah. You know, or been there, you know, in the last six months or whatever it is. So those are, those are attributes that you can add to a CRM. So I think what I'm hearing you say is obviously the basics of how do you contact the person, but then it's measuring points to measure their engagement or the relationship. And then looking at what are one or two, or maybe three elements that are really unique to how a donor would relate to you or how they'd relate to your beneficiaries. So that you can create customized outreach. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, and also transactions are not the same, right? Like we were just referencing that in terms yeah. of memberships are not the same as event sponsorships or peer to peer fundraising, or, you know, I bought something at the museum store or downloaded something from the website. Like these are all different transactional elements that represent who somebody is. 
but it all ultimately comes back to that sorts of truth. And that's why Excel is not a database. And that's why QuickBooks is not a donor management system. You need something designed for this. And you need something that understands the nuances of the nonprofit market as well. That's the other important thing here. And, mm. and you can get there through customization with for-profit platforms. Salesforce is a great example of that. But it takes a lot of effort, you know? So the average organization, if they want to, you know, get there quicker, there's stuff designed for that on the market. I don't need to say the name. We already talked about the name in terms of what I would suggest. But like the reality there is it takes work to think through this. The, the, the final thing that I want to say in terms of this as the average organization, because I've done this, is write out a stewardship process plan. Okay. I actually found my old one that I had for my last job 10 years ago. And I'm like, man, this is like, I might like send this to marketing so we can turn this into a checklist or something. I love that idea. I love that idea. Still really good. I'll, I'll pop it on over to you after. Yeah, send it over. What was on there? So basically, it's like, what do you do on a daily basis when it comes to the database? And so it would be, you know, basic check entry, you know, checking reconciliation for credit card donations, things like that. But then I built out a process for what happens weekly, quarterly, six-month basis. So that's copy review. That's engaging with other departments. That's like, you know, complete overhaul or NCOA updates, national change of address, because 11% of Americans move every year. So, you know, you're probably not going to have, at least for 11% of your database, the accurate place to do a direct mail appeal, right? So you can get these things. Like, just if you put it on your Google calendar, your Outlook calendar, and then you have the thing slapped up and it's like for every thousand dollar donor you need to ping the director of development that they need to call this person you'll do it just it'll become reflex that's the thing generosity is baked into our dna Lindsay. it's baked into our dna anyway i'm like ranting too much at you tonight no i love it (laughs) it's all good it's all good i really enjoyed listening to the ted talks before we connected and something you were talking about is that generosity is baked into our DNA and it's a human experience. It's not, we're not prepared to be starting a relationship by being asked for money. That's never worked well in sales for for for-profit business. And it definitely doesn't work well with fundraising for nonprofits. And I actually just got a new book that I'm pretty excited about. It's called The Gift. I know like we're doing a podcast, so I'm just going to say it out loud. Yeah, nice. It's called The Gift, The Form and Reason for Exchange in Archaic Societies. Okay. This is Marcel Mauss's anthropological text on like how ancient societies actually their structure was around giving things, not taking, but actually like the ability for us to grow came from the fact that even in early human history, people weren't, yeah, there was, you know, a lot of violence and stuff like that, but like these stable societies are the ones that were the givers. That's the long and short of it. And I think we're seeing that now. You know, let's be real in terms of the most stable ones are the ones that that prioritize giving at their core. I think the United States has a lot of opportunity there, but we've got to get back to to focusing on empathy. We need to get back on focusing on listening to other people and things like your podcast are going to help with that, too. Oh, well, yeah, that's certainly the hope. Along those lines, I was just listening to NPR where they were talking about what's going on in Italy, where the coronavirus has shuttered more than 2 million businesses. And 
as we all know, Italy has been hit so hard. What they're doing now is an old-fashioned trend called suspended shopping, where you can actually pay forward a coffee for yourself or a um, meal for yourself in the future. And if it's not going to be you, the idea is that you might not need it, but somebody else does. So you pay it forward. And that's just a small example of how humans are intrinsically motivated and guided towards helping others, but we need to give them a space to do that. And that's why I love fundraising is that it's actually giving people an opportunity to help others as opposed to you're asking for their money because you need it for your budget. You know, it's like, just take a step back if you're a fundraiser or if you're a nonprofit and just think about how are you offering to help society and how are you giving a way for donors to do that? Yeah. What's the space for them to be the hero of the story that you yes. want them to join? And and, yeah. and and a good way to do that is because you have solid data on them structured to be able to personalize that. Yeah. That, get, that checks our CRM discussion points. Yeah. And then a good day that you can celebrate this yeah. is on May 5th for Giving Tuesday now. Wow, you just put a ribbon around it, didn't you? I'm trying. I'm trying. I know we're like over. All right, we're over. So let me ask you just a couple closing things. One is, you know, when you said yes, you would be on my podcast, you also suggested that I made a donation. So if you were to shout out one nonprofit or one individual, one company, what would you shout out now? Because this is the wrap up celebration and the wrap up celebration. I mean, I always, I will always probably go back to Capital Roots. Capital Roots, it's my favorite nonprofit in the world. Yeah, they are a rock star organization that's been here in in the upstate region of New York. That's been just like rocking food sustainability and just making sure that that there's equitable access to to food. You know, I'll cheat and also throw in that I think that a lot of bail bond organizations and local local states need a lot of support right now, a lot of help right now. That wouldn't have come straight to my mind. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you put that out there. You know what? I go with the my backup, my kind of safe one in terms of like, I always love talking about capital roots, but like bail bond stuff has really been on my mind. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for putting that out there. And you can count on a uh, donation from me. And that's it. So how can people find you, Tim? This has been wonderful. Well, Neon One, go to neonone.com. Easy, easy. That's O-N-E, not the number one, O-N-E.com. And then for me, you know, hit me up on LinkedIn, hit me up on Twitter. I've uh, deleted Facebook. So it's, you know, can't find me there. But uh yeah, Midwest TGS or, or Tim Sir Antonio LinkedIn, Beyond One. Good. Well, we'll put that all in the show notes. And um, I know you've got three little ones, a full-time job, and a wife who's working right behind you. So I just want to say thank you so much, Tim, for your time and insights. And this is really timely. I hope this is helpful to the audience. And I appreciate you. Awesome. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.